Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome you know guys i'm just a few hours from boarding my plane to anaheim to cover ufc 298 this weekend for espn but of course uncle chael is gonna sit here and deliver for you first coming up on today's episode dana white walked off the set of a podcast was it legit? Plus, Henry Zahudo says he will retire with a loss on Saturday night. Is that legit? And of course, I'm going to give you some official predictions for Saturday night as well. It's a packed show, guys. Let's get into it. So I get a phone call. It's my manager. He says, hey, Chael, just heard from the United States Anti-Doping Agency, and they found this, this, and this in your system. My manager then goes quiet. I'm also remaining quiet because I'm thinking, are you done? Turned out he was. They just had those three things. But either way, my career was going to be spent a few minutes outside of the principal's office. Now, roughly a month later, I'm at a casino at the Wynn waiting for my room to be ready, sitting in a slot machine when Front Row Brian contacts me to let me know that the UFC has been sold to WME. And I have to disclose that to you because there are many things that I have to, oh, I got to remind myself, oh, I got to remind myself of when, because it was very boilerplate. Every contract is the same, broad stroke, I understand that, but every contract's the same. You're going to change the name, you're going to change some numbers. Easy to know what else is going on and with your cohorts, because we all have the same contract with some understandable exceptions. At that time, the biggest way to make money was known as a bonus. Some people referred to it as a locker room bonus. But what that was is when the event was over, you would get a check that had never previously been discussed for an amount that you were not owed. It was the most exciting thing in the world. It truly was. 
I mean, you want to know when $1,000 is a lot of money? Not that I would scoff at it, but you want to know when $1,000 is a lot of money? When you're not owed it. Oh, and by the way, I made that number up. Nobody only got $1,000. It was a really fun time. There was another thing. If you wanted to retire after fighting, I'm talking about from life. I don't mean stop fighting, right? There's a big difference. I was, oh, I retired. Right, stop fighting. Oh, I, 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 I retired. Well, if you wouldn't got another job because you needed one from the financial aspect, you did not retire. You just stopped fighting. I'm okay with that. I'm just sharing for you. It's very rare that somebody can actually retire from fighting, but those that did all had one thing in common, which was a clause within their contract known as a pay-per-view. All of the guys that have made the kind of money that you sat around and dreamed about when you went into the sport in the first place, you could never get there. It wasn't championships that got them there. It wasn't great records. It wasn't a good cross followed by a great hook. It was being able to participate in a pay-per-view. That, at the time that I left the sport and the company was sold, was reserved for champions, with two exceptions. Chael Sonnen, Brock Lesnar. Now, I think that's the way it still is. I think, but, but I have to share with you guys that entire diatribe that I, I actually don't know. I think it is. I know nobody gets pay-per-view except for champions. When I left, every champion got pay-per-view. Are you understanding the distinction? So it's not the night that you won the belt. Night you win the belt, you weren't champion when that fight started. But in your next fight, when you're defending the belt and you're bringing the title, you now go into the participation. All champions got it. There was thresholds. Not everybody got a check, but it became available. So we have somebody very guilty at UFC 300. We have one champion on the roster who has spoken up with an actual idea, an actual plan. And you got to understand, if somebody goes, I'll fight at 300, they're not part of this club. I'll fight at 300, is not, I'll fight at 300. Just so you know, the only person who gets a pass here is Piera. Alex Piera came forward as champion, as a top draw, willing to defend. And by the way, he had an opponent. It was Tom Aspinall. He was not looking for an easy night. The hardest night you could possibly find in this industry is standing across from Tom Aspinall. Even if you think you can beat him. Go ahead and beat him. It's the hardest guy you could possibly face. And that's what Pierre called for. So Pierre was serious, and Pierre gets a 100% pass. He's the only one. Now, do you think that Pierre versus Aspinall would draw well? I'm asking you a question. And yes, you do. You want to see that? Sure you do. But it wouldn't really matter who the opponent was for Pierre if you're on top of the bill at 300 if 300 is anything like 100, or even an average of 100 and 200, it is going to be a life-changing night to anybody on that card who has back-end participation. So anybody that has this should be begging, fighting, and clawing for that spot give you a quick story, but Frank Mir. Frank Mir was scheduled to take on an opponent. It was prior to 100. 
And Frank pulled out of the fight. Said he had an injury. Now, he didn't have an injury. He was strategic. He looked at the board. He was the opposite of a Sandhagen. And he knew if I don't show up here, they're going to have to use me here against Lesnar. And there's a rumor that St. Pierre is going to be on the card. So I can do the job over here that I've been asked to do. Or I can just do it over here and make 10 times as much. And that's what Frank did. It's a great move. It was a strategic move, but it was done by somebody that understands. Now, I only offer you that example because we're going to And Frank might hear this guy. Yeah, I got a detail wrong. I've made my point, though, 100% correct. And now we have UFC 300. We're a champion who's finally an opportunity to get participation, which is such an elastic scale. You're talking about a $2.8 million check versus an $80,000 check with no exaggeration here. And we have one champion who is serious. We have one champion that tried. We have one champion that vied for it publicly. And I find that to be beyond confusing. Because at the end of the day, guy, guys, the, the only thing here that's real is the miles and the money. And that might be tough talk, and that might even put your dream and stomp on it just a little bit. But it's important that you know it now because you're going to find out sooner or later the only thing that's real in this business is the miles and the money. The time that you're going to spend on the road away from and then fill in the blank. Are those loved ones? Is that a hometown? Is that real life? Whatever it might be based on your situation. You're going to be gone. You're never going to get that time back. Eating cold suppers in a room alone. People think you're out there living the life. You're by yourself. Nobody to even have dinner with. You're never going to get that back. And in exchange for it, you either got a jackpot full of money or you don't. It's a tough business, but it's the one that we're in. If you have the chance to fight on top of 300 and you don't take it and you don't pursue it, we're now finding out behind closed doors, everybody, including our heroes, our champions, are turning it down. They're saying no. One guy who's meaningful, right? This, this isn't the same. You get a new guy signed. I got to explain to you his name, his weight class, and he says, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm real. People that are realistic, people that can actually do it. There's one guy. His name is Alex Piera. And not for nothing, for being that one guy, it should go to him. Now, we don't do things with heart over here. We do them with the opposite of heart. Capitalism and cold, hard cash. But there is an expression. If you're not a socialist in your 20s, you have no heart. And if you're not a capitalist by your 30s, then you have no brain. And the only person that we should be parting the waters and moving to make things happen for is the only person who offered to do the job in the first place. Alex Pejera. make the announcement of the main event for UFC 300. He's going to do it this Saturday. The post-fight press conference right after Taporia and Volkanovski handle their business. Now, bravo to Dana, right? Uh, you, you have to be such a good promoter to get somebody right in front of their face. I mean, really, when, when, when everybody's watching and everybody's looking and you can still get him and he's got me. He's got me. I mean, th this is incredible. He's never done a fight like this. 
We as a community have never been on the edge of our seat more for a fight announcement ever than this. And there are so many things that are out of place in terms of what normally would happen. So then you get the smart guys in the room that are historians, like your, like myself. Why you just got a really good memory? You could go to Google or you could go to jail. Then I'm going to be able to look at, well, here's how this was done before, so I can guess that this is what's going to be done in the future. Then I get to look like the smart guy. There are so many things about this that have never been done. Dangling a main event in front of us has not been done. Giving us ingredients of the main event, an ingredient being you can't handle it. It's so big. An ingredient being this is jaw-dropping. Just for example, like th those are really hard in your final recipe. Not to mention we've excluded a number of people. Now, are those true, right? I see when you go down conspiracy road, you're judging every facial expression you can. You're also judging the words. Dana says it won't be Conor McGregor, but does that mean it won't be Conor McGregor? Well, if we are going off of history, yeah. Yeah, I can't really remember a time that Dana said it won't be something. And then comes back and goes, ta-da, it's a something. I, I can't remember that. So if I'm trying to guess what is going to be that's really big, of course I'm going to start with the sport's biggest stars. Like before I even get to a fight, let's just get to a guy. Red Panty Knight still wins the day. And there's Connor, and he's available, and everything's getting weird around that. I mean, absolutely everything about that is weird. From Connor announcing a fight that apparently is not happening on the date that he said it's going to happen, to Connor announcing he's going to box Manny Pacquiao, like everything around it doesn't make sense. Dana had done a piece today. He said it's it's really tough with McGregor. He's got so much money sitting and negotiating with a guy. It's a different spot. And that's a head scratcher to me because they have a contract. There is nothing to negotiate. There is no conversation to be had back and forth. We're going to turn to the file cabinet. Pull out a form that we signed two years ago, right? I mean, it's one of those things. So if it's not Connor, and it would be hard to beat Connor, because I personally cannot accept that it would be a non-title fight. I cannot believe that it would be a non-title fight. I cannot believe a policy within the UFC, which is title fights uh, trump everything else, and you've got the girls fight on there. So if you bring in a non-title fight, I mean, there's a, just a number of reasons that I have a hard time believing that that's the case. And that would mean that you're putting Connor against Islam or Connor against Leon, if in fact you're using Connor in a main event spot. These, these are too hard for me to believe. So I would then defer right on down. And number two in line is a real toss-up. The sport's second biggest star is a real toss-up between Izzy and... And Sugar Sean. Sugar Sean is booked. Let's go back to Izzy. If you're going to use Izzy, who are you going to put him against? And if we're following Chael's math that it has to be a title fight, then the answer is Drickus Duplessis. I know for sure that fight was offered. I also know that Eugene Berryman says he's getting Izzy ready in case a short notice fight comes up. But said he's going to need another month just to be in the stride and another month and a half after that to be pre-layoff Izzy. Okay. Drika says, I'm not doing the fight. I want to fight him at UFC Africa. I think it'll be a bigger fight than 300. I'm quoting right now. So if I'm to take those guys at their word, which I'm sort of left with, fine. I then do have to look at the store's second biggest star outside of McGregor, which is Adesanya. And I have to understand that he is a versatile player. 
and he could still be at play opposite the only guy that asked for the spot. The only realistic and meaningful athlete on the entire roster of 764 that asked for the spot happens to be a champion, and he happens to be named Alec Pereira. So is there a chance that Pereira is going to step in against Izzy at 205 pounds? Would that meet the criteria of jaw-dropping and something you couldn't handle? No. Of course not. You've handled it how many times now? Six, seven, eight? So what are you going to do? Now, when I talk about things are out of order, when I talk about things that we've never seen, and a great job by Dana in getting us all, Dana even mentioned at a press conference, he started to lay his card out, but he did it from bottom up. Dana, at a press conference, announced what the first fight of the night would be. There's never been a time in the UFC, and even if you're a smart mark and you count UFC 36 and a half, there's never been a time when the first fight of the night was announced at a press conference. So we start jumping around going, okay, was the point there to show how strong the card was? Or is it to give you a little bit of room in case it doesn't come up? Totally? We, don't, we don't know what to make of it. It's never happened before. Now, the final ingredient. You will have an answer on Saturday night at the post-fight press conference. So that would lead one to believe that it's done, that a deal is in place. And you can tell a friend, tell a phone, or tell a fighter. The word is going to get out. There is nobody in this sport who can keep a secret. That includes Dana's inner circle and office. If you were on the second floor of the UFC with a meaningful amount of people, it won't get out of that office. Somebody will tell somebody. It just, it won't get out. But Dana must have a level of confidence that he can either, between now and press conference, secure a match that he doesn't currently have, or that he can keep it quiet. It's a fascinating subject. I got to tell you, I've never really had more fun doing this. And I don't believe that we can have a real off-the-wall fight. The return of St. Pierre, the return of Nurmagomedov. I don't believe we will do anything with anybody that is outside the predetermined request set forth by USADA, who I know is not even here. Please don't think you need to give me a lesson. But I don't personally believe they will do anything that was outside of the request of USADA when USADA was here. Which means you're not going to gather from anybody that's not in the pool. So I just don't think we're going to have one of those epic comeback moments. I know I hear lots of speculation it's going to be Lesnar. Lots of speculation that's going to be Ronda. I'm much more comfortable in telling you guys what it's not going to be. I'm much more comfortable in telling you fights it's not going to be. And I could even break down why. But in a broad stroke and to speed things up, they have to be in compliance. Now, that is an extremely arguable claim I just made. But USADA has made it very clear that that is their belief in what they would like. And I know when that uh, torch was passed, the comment was made. We're not going to choose to fight you, and we're not conceding that we agree with you in that interpretation, but we are going to follow the interpretation. It specifically had to do with Conor McGregor. I'm well aware, but I'm still spitballing with you because there's a big surprise coming. 
There is. I just don't know what it could be. I don't know what direction to look in. It, it feels as though whatever the announcement is, is something that couldn't happen at 299 and shouldn't happen at 301. It's got to be a unique. I'm confident telling you it's somebody in the pool. I'm most confident, absolute most confident, in telling you it's going to be for a title. But none of that is evidence that I have. None of that I can prove. And how we're going to keep that a secret from now until Saturday, that will be, of all these unprecedented moves, that will be the most unprecedented. Dana White walks off the set of the Howie Mandel podcast. This has been going around. I mean, this is going around everywhere. And anybody that's aired it also gives the caveat, hey, this doesn't look real. Have you guys seen it? Allow me to set the stage for you real fast. They're in a small podcast studio. Howie introduces Dana. When Howie gets done, it is now Dana's turn to go. And he thanks Howie for the very nice introduction. It was very nice. I mean, Howie went on and on, and he only said nice things. And Dana said, you know what? I'm tired of doing podcasts. In fact, I'm done. I'm not doing any more podcasts. And he was polite, and he was calm. He didn't curse. In fact, he said the exact words that I just said. He said, took the headset off and got up and walked out. Now, there would be no reason to do that, correct? You agreed to a podcast. You're trying to get a message out. You're there. It's began. It's Howie Mandel. You're not like running an angle here with a great worker. So people have come to the conclusion that it was a staged something. And I must tell you, I have a very different conclusion. I think Dana White got up and walked out. I don't think he's mad at Howie. He didn't pretend to be mad at Howie. But staging it would just involve a number of steps. I mean, let's start at the beginning. Howie Mandel has a podcast. I mean, th that's news that nobody knew, correct? And even with this thing going around, and Howie is the first to put it out. Howie didn't realize what he had, but he knew he had something, so he didn't just burn it. He edited it, he broke it off, and he's the one that put it out to the world. It then got picked up and other people are putting it out. And so many people said, hey, that's fake. And you know what? I don't know that it is. It doesn't look right. I agree with that. And it doesn't seem as though there would be any kind of a spoof to getting up and walking out. But I can tell you this. The set that they were on was subpar. I'll put it like that. They're wearing, let me just give you a great example. Do, do you know the podcast? And, and there's no barrier to entry. Like everybody has a podcast. You might have a podcast. For sure, your neighbor and or friends in your very close circle has a podcast. You'll know somebody that does because there's no barriers to entry. But when you have a professional that works in the space of entertainment, there's certain things from a production standpoint that should not exist on your neighbor's podcast. For example, Dana White has to take a headset off to say goodbye. He never should have been wearing a headset. I mean, not for nothing, but the fact that Howie Mandel has been in TV this long and he's working with a production crew that has him wearing a headset. I mean, let's just start with that. That's enough to irritate anybody, in all fairness. 
There's then a gentleman there, seems like a perfectly nice guy. Howie refers to him as a ginger. The gentleman has red hair. I don't know that ginger is derogatory, but I don't personally like it. I don't personally like that you would refer to somebody as that. I would just think that that's weird. Moreover, Howie introduced Dana in possibly the most sincere way I've ever heard Dana introduced. There, there was possibly the, the biggest lack of sincerity. I mean, Howie said, I, I look up to you. I would question, if I could challenge Howie on that right now, what is it about Dana you look up to? I don't think he knows anything about him. I don't. I think he just said that. What does that mean to you, Howie? That means that you're used to being around people where you've got the most money, but this guy has more money, so you say you look up to him? That means That is so superficial, it's disgusting, and I can't imagine any other reason he said it. Does Howie have a fantasy about running a fight? What, what is it about Dana that Howie wishes that he was doing? And moreover, when he was putting the praise on Dana, he referred to Dana White as a philosopher. He actually said those words. And th there's something about it that you can't fully describe without making yourself look like a complete jerk, right? Like there's things that you, you, you can't say. You can't go in and make fun of the fact that, that Howie has headsets on. A lot of people do. It doesn't take away from the fact that that lacks a value of production. And I know that's not why Dana got up and walked out. I'm just sharing for you, when you're dealing with an expert that's in the space, when you're dealing with a guy that's been in TV for, for three generations and he decides that he's going to go executive produce something on his own and he's got such a terrible set that he's got a headset, not for nothing, who was the redheaded guy? Is the redheaded guy a co-host? If he is, then he should have been there. If he's a co-host on Howie's podcast that nobody watches, he should be there. But if he wasn't, if he's a guest himself, he should not have been there. Howie should not have brought Dana White into a room to do a level of production with a gentleman that doesn't have anything to do with it. That would be a big miss. I've had that happen to me. Believe me, it would be a miss. Now, moreover, is the introduction in and of itself. Guys, if I had, let me just think, let me just, I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. Who's somebody I'd like to meet? I'd like to meet Kanye West. There you go. That was right off the top of my head. But, if Kanye was here with me, who's a big star, he's globally known, there's a, a, a reason that while I'm rich, he's richer. I mean, I'm trying to think of the Howie Mandel situation, right? There, there, there's a reason. I don't introduce him as a music artist, even though he is. I don't introduce him as a top-selling Grammy Award-winning two-time platinum. I don't do those things. Why? Because it, it's so well-known, I shouldn't have to. I'm not sure I introduce him as Kanye West. I think I just start the interview. And possibly if I need to set the table somewhere, I would say, President of the UFC, Dana White, how you doing? Boom, and I'm into it, right there. But for Howie to bring Dana on and do an introduction, the first off, it's not true. Dana's not a philosopher. Just like that, that was a really silly thing to say. I also don't believe that Howie looks up to him. And if he does, it would be for the most superficial reasons that you could possibly imagine. And third, he doesn't need an introduction. Howie also said, I can see that you and Ginger are getting along nicely. That's, that's what he said about Ginger. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean you can see they're getting along nicely? Were you not here the moment they met? 
Are you not the one that introduced these two? Hey, Dana, please meet the redhead. The redhead, please meet Dana. Did you not do that? Where were you to observe them? See, this is the biggest, this is the biggest thing that you need to understand. For Howie to make this statement, I can see you and the ginger are getting along nicely. For him to say that, did you have Dana and you brought him into a podcast set where you were still in the back, powdering your nose and drinking your coffee? That's how much you valued his time. Then you put him in there with a stranger that's nothing to do with the show and you thought that they should just mingle and mesh? Because again, I've also had that happen to me, so I'm personalizing a little bit. That exact scenario that I just laid out ended a relationship between me and Michael Landsberg. He brought me in somewhere and put, I, I have a level of social anxiety and I can deal with it, but I have to know it's coming. He brought me into a room with somebody that I had never met. I spent ample amount of time, longer than the interview was even scheduled to be, getting to know that I, I hadn't met. I, I don't know why they'd be part of the interview. When I agreed to come on, I, I, I don't, why would I have somebody else? So I do have to ask you that. And if you guys know, and you go, oh, Chael, you fool, that's his co-host. Oh, fair enough. I would go in a whole different angle where Howie Mandel, a guy that's been on TV for three decades, needs a co-host. That's why I don't think it is his co-host. I think it was a guy, I think it was a guest. I think Howie Mandel thought he was going to bring Dana White, the great philosopher, and put a different guest and have them mesh while he's trying to talk about a title fight that's coming up this weekend, while he's got all sorts of rumors looming about the sport's biggest star, Conor McGregor. Well, he's got all sorts of ins and outs going about the biggest card of all time scheduled, UFC 300. And how he wants to tell him he's a philosopher, he wants to introduce him in the first place. I think it was a miss. I think it was insincere. I think it's going to be used. I think it's a spoof for how he's podcast. I don't mind pitching it and helping him out if, if that's the case. I don't know why he has a podcast. I have the slightest idea. But as far as did, did Dana get up and walk out off of Howie's show, was that a spoof? Was that made up? Was that the first time? And everybody would like to work an angle with Dana White. Everybody. Dana's never worked a WWE-style angle in his life, but he did, and he did it with Howie Mandel and a redheaded guy in a podcast set that is so badly produced you, you need to wear a headset. No, man, I don't think so. I think Dana got up and walked out. Get in on the UFC 298 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. Visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now for available lines and odds for UFC 298. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code CHAIL. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario.
one no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet bonus bet expires 168 hours after issuance see dkng.com promos for deposit wagering and eligibility restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources versus Sean Strickland. How would we get there, guys? That is a hot match. And Ian Gary seems to be very serious about it. Now, it's like anything in life. Be careful what you ask for. And I can tell you, if Gary wins, let's say Gary wins, he's got the microphone. Opposite Joe Rogan makes a call out like very few can. Gary's got a, a special... Skill, but I believe he's 15 and 0 right now. That'll make him 16 and 0. If I'm wrong, I'm still close. It's a beautiful record. He'll be a meaningful contender. And now he's made a call out of a guy that started a personal feud with him, and you don't get very many personal grudges. Not to mention, there's really nothing separated. I mean, 170 pounds and 185 pounds is the exact same thing. That's the same weight. If a guy's within 15 pounds, you weigh the same thing. So, would you have him fight? Because I will tell you, historically speaking, and if you were to get into the mind of Dana White, no. No, you wouldn't really have anything you could turn to, regardless of the personal grudge and how fun and how hot, how great that could be for an industry. You really wouldn't have an example that you can turn to where Dana would take two guys from different weights and put them together just because, even if it was personal grudge. And one way that Dana would look at it, right, because anytime you're guessing or you're predicting where does it go, you're, you're not guessing and predicting what you hope you're also trying to guess and predict what you think that he is going to hope. So Dana would often look at it as, look, I got two contenders right there. If I have them fight, I eliminate one. If I don't have them fight, I can have them both go in to championship matches. That's two meaningful main events, right? So if you're telling me them fighting each other is a big fight, I don't disagree. But if I send both of them on their separate ways is collectively those two fights not as big as the one that you're suggesting, right? I mean, this would be the math. This would be the mindset there. So let me just give you a different scenario. If, if, if the question is, what is the road to get Gary and Strickland together? The road to get them together is that Gary doesn't win. If Gary gets beat by Neil, what do you do with him? And now that's where it starts to be very interesting, right? I mean, there, there's not a rule, but there does seem to be a pretty strong policy in matchmaking. A guy that won his last fight fights a guy that won his last fight. A guy that did not win his last fight fights a guy that did not win his last fight. And Gary is on such a trajectory right now for a world title fight. Not to mention if personal beef is the only thing that you're using to try to suggest that they, they should find a weight class and, and get matched up. If that's all that you're using, well, Ian, Gary, and Leon have a personal story too. So I don't think it's enough. But I don't want Gary to waste his time. I don't want him to waste his breath. He's only got two guys' names coming out of his mouth. Sean Strickland at a weight class that he's not in. And Colby. And it's an interesting spot with a victory. I feel as though his options are more limited than a defeat would bring him. Now, 
isn't that ironic? Because with a victory is the only time he's going to get the microphone to make a call out of any kind. With a defeat, though I think he's more likely to get the match that he wants against Sean, he's not going to be given the opportunity to call for the match against Sean. So it's, it's a very interesting spot. I can't think of much that I would like to see more than Gary and Sean at a press conference, at a media shoot, doing a dual interview, doing a split side-by-side screen. I can't think of, of too many things in a buildup that would be more entertaining and fun. But that isn't how matches get made over here. That isn't why matches get made. And if Ian Gary gets a win over Jeff Neal, that's going to be very significant and meaningful. That's going to move Ian Gary to number six, number five, somewhere like that in the rankings. That will give him the most beautiful record of anybody under signed contract that is not named Rachmanov. He's within striking distance this year, right? If this calendar year of 2024, Gary is to have three fights. If he can win all three of those fights, I'm very confident in telling you one of those is a world title fight. I can't imagine he's four fights away. What would that mean? 18, 19, and 0? He's the, he's the biggest star. He's the most recognizable name. A really unique position, but that position is what excludes him from getting Sean. It's not going to be a matter. I think, I think in his mind, he thinks, hey, if I go do a good job, for a job well done, for the pat on the back, I'm more likely to get the piece of candy I'm asking for. That would be a very natural human way of thinking. I just think that it's the wrong math. It would actually make him a very meaningful contender within his own division and no reason to send him into a different division. And so many guys, by the way, we don't ever get back. If you let him go into a different division, right? I mean, imagine that Gary goes up and he and he, and he beats Sean. I mean, just imagine that. He's now beaten the top guy. He's now beaten the world champion. Why would, why would you ever come down? You can get the same prize and do the same thing, get the same ranking at a weight class where you don't have to suffer as much. Why would you ever come back down? So it's, it's just one of those dream matches and one of those dream moments. And it's one of those rare situations where generally success opens doors for you. In Gary's situation, it kind of limos and it limits and narrows his path. In fact, I'm confident in telling you, if Gary beats Jeff Neal, any hope that you have of Gary versus Strickland is gone in smoke. Regardless of the fact that Gary might call him out right there in that moment, I think it's gone. I think it's up in flames. So what do you want to see happen there, right? Is it worth risking that? Is it worth risking this this beautiful run that Gary's on? His undefeated streak, potential number one contendership. We know he's close. This probably isn't the one, but he's close. Not to mention welterweight as a whole. Something is going on there. Something is going on that we haven't quite put enough sunlight on. Sunlight being the the world's best disinfectant, right? Put a light. What is going on there? Wahal Mohammed came in, who we all believed was already named the number one contender, but then he also came in as a backup fighter, which he didn't get that call for short notice. So imagine what he had to do. Imagine the professionalism that he had to show. And in many ways, when when Blahal got the call to be a backup fighter for Leon and Colby, that was also a way out. Well, hey, man, we we offered it to you. You you didn't want to be a backup fighter. Why why would we think you want to be the fighter? But that's not the response they got. He said, yeah. And then he did it, and he got licensed. 
and he got on an airplane and he got on that scale and he beat the scale. I'm just sharing for you. And within no time, I mean, just as soon as that match was done as the post-fight press conference, talking about Leon and Colby, just as soon as that was done, and it was right there that that rug was pulled out. So what is going on at 170 pounds? Is Blahal next? Was Chemayev offered this fight for 300? Can Ian Gary's undefeated record only to be surpassed currently by Rachmanov jump the field? I think these are all very meaningful questions. And I think when I look at Gary's call-outs of a world champion in Sean Strickland, of, of, a, of a top guy in Colby Covington, I think when I look at his call-outs, I get more surprised at who he's not calling out. Ian Gary, young, brash, handsome, crowd favorite, main card. All times he's a main card fighter. They were going to have this fight in Miami. He was main card. They pulled it off there, put it over here in Anaheim. He's still main card. Not even a thought, not even a question. Beautiful record, top-ranked guy. Doesn't see himself as the right guy to fight for the championship. I think perhaps Gary is selling himself a little bit short. My official prediction for Ian Gary versus Jeff Neal. You know, it hasn't changed. I mean, I must tell you, I, I made one of these five months ago when Ian was supposed to fight Gary. I apologize. When Ian Gary was supposed to fight Jeff Neal the first time. And I had Ian Gary. It's a situation of, I, I don't know where Jeff is going to beat him at. Jeff Neal is going to have to be able to strike with Gary and more of an outstrike Gary. I believe Neal to be a good striker. Well, Gary's a great striker. And I believe Neal to be a superior grappler. But you can't just get the party started with grappling. Like, there's an old expression that they used to use in jujitsu gyms to sign people up. They would say, 80% of fights go to the ground. And that, that made it for many years until somebody else came out and said, yeah, but 100% of them start standing up. And then all of a sudden, like, that, that expression wasn't as cool anymore. But there's a lot of truth to both. And before you get into any grappling aspect, you've got to be able to get the guy down. It's always a huge miss in MMA. Like, if you want to go get into MMA... You're an athlete yourself. You're looking to join a gym. Maybe you're a father and you want to get your son involved. There's always a tough juxtaposition because you'll be able to find a jujitsu gym and you'll be able to find a, a boxing gym. Now, that means a kickboxing or taekwondo or karate. You'll be able to find a school for that. And you'll be able to find somebody to show you some joint manipulation. They don't happen until this one happens, which is wrestling. But outside of the school system, you will not find a wrestling opportunity for yourself or for your son. You can go to the Yellow Pages, you go to Google, you go to Yelp, you go to a friend, you go drive around town and just look at the different signs on the buildings. You will not find a place where you can wrestle outside of educational institutions. It is the hardest of all of them, which is why it doesn't exist. It's too hard. And I bring that to you because it, there's always a misunderstanding of fighting. There's only four places a fight can go. That's it. Coach Foster from Team Quest broke this down for me many years ago, but he was explaining this to me, that there's only four places that a fight can be. And it changed the way that I view and look at these competitions. But, but it also eliminates your ability 
to tell me who's better at grappling. It simply doesn't matter. Now, the in-between who's better at wrestling, are you more dominant, can you out-wrestle him, does. It does matter. I think that Jeff Neal is very good. I think that Jeff Neal is a very good athlete. I think that Jeff Neal is ranked appropriately. Which the last time I looked, he, he was number six. If, if he's six, if he slid just a little bit. But right, right, right in that range, right in that good meaty part of a guy that matters, that has consequence, that's at the top of his game. I, I think that Neal's all of those things. I just think that Gary's better. I think that Gary is misranked. When Gary broke into the top 15, I believe he currently sits at number 11. That's too low. I'm not confident that Gary is not a top three guy. I'm not confident that Gary should not be fighting for the championship next if he gets past Neil. But when I do look at that match, I go, okay, how's Gary going to beat him? Well, the exact same ways he's beaten everybody else, and he's only had one game plan. Gary has beaten everybody the exact same way, which is he sets up them on their feet with beautiful feints, and then he hits them. And it's, it's one of these spots where if you're fighting Gary, he's never going to come out and attack you. Never. You're never going to run to a situation, boom, oh, there was an uppercut followed by a hook. It will not happen. He will feint you, and then he will come with a two-beat combo. Jab crosses his favorite, but it could, it could be a straight followed by a leg kick. It'll always be a feint, always followed by more than one punch. And I tell you that just because there's there's certain guys where w- once you do that, they will have mannerisms and rhythms. It wouldn't matter if the guy they were fighting was really good or bad. It wouldn't matter if they were in a street fight or not. They can't go. They cannot mount offense until they do something. Fedor has a tell. Nate Marcourt, friend of mine, former opponent, but he has a tell. I've never told anybody what it is, by the way, but it it helped in my match with him. I used to train with him all the time, beat me up every day in practice. Clayton learned this tell. Was able to have good moments with him. I'm I'm just sharing with you. He's a professional wrestler named Mark Marrow. And his professional wrestling gimmick was that he was a boxer, but in real life, he had done a little bit of boxing. And he broke down Chuck Liddell one time, and he said that Chuck Liddell cannot throw any punches until he blinks first. Now, I must tell you, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't broken down Chuck because I'd have to fight him. But it made headlines when Marrow said it. And he said, yeah, I think I could do well with Chuck because I know when everything's coming because he always has to blink. You'll see certain guys, and if you were able to go in the gym, if you're able to watch them in the gym, if you were able to go into their garage, every professional fighter you know has a heavy bag in his garage and he goes in there and gets workouts in. But he would do that on the heavy bag. He would faint. He would give the motion. If Chuck Liddell, in fact, is a blinker, he will blink before he hits that bag hanging in his garage when nobody's looking. There are certain things that your body has to do before it can do the next thing if you trained it into that habit. So if you ask me how Gary is going to beat Neil... I will tell you the same ways he's beaten everybody else. He has some of the best feints in the game. And then he's going to be, he's very good at keeping range. He's very long, but he can keep you at the end of his punches. Like that's a term and expression you hear in fighting. Well, if he can get inside, if he can keep him on the outside, like you'll just hear guys that don't know what they're talking about. Well, the footwork, they'll just throw out these terms. Keep him at the end of your punches. That's another one of these terms. You haven't seen 10 fighters in the history of fighting that know how to keep you at the end of their punches. You'll always hear about a length, a reach advantage. You haven't seen 10 fighters, and that includes boxers in your life, that know how to use a reach. 
Dan Hooker is the best example that we have in this sport that knows how to use his reach, knows how to keep you back there. But Gary does too. And it it really eliminates 85 to 90% of wrestling opportunity. Wrestling is the exact same for everybody. It doesn't matter if you are a JV guy or if you were an Olympic athlete. It does not matter. If a guy is further than arm's reach, you can't wrestle him. Don't even try. Put your arm out. If you can't touch him, you don't wrestle. Second, when you're ready to wrestle and engage, everybody from your first day to the Olympic finals must change elevation first. So when you start to understand these things, it can be fairly easy to shut somebody's wrestling down. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter who the better wrestler is. It does not matter. I know how to stop it. I'll keep you further than an arm's reach. And if my arms are longer, I'll never let you with inside that. If I know how to use it, oh, by the way, Gary does. Second, you can never wrestle me till you change elevation first. Nobody while maintaining height steps in to close a distance. They will change elevation, then step in. And I only share that for you because wrestling is doing worse and worse. Wrestling's dominance is becoming less and less, but I'm sharing with you why. And I'm sharing with you, if you come to the conclusion that Jeff Neal can outstrike Ian Gary, guys, have at it. I fully support you. You could be right on that. I wouldn't know. If you come to the conclusion that Neal is a much better grappler than Gary, I will just have to remind you that doesn't matter. And that hasn't mattered since the 90s. And the expression is true. 80% of fights go to the ground. But it's also true. 100% of fights start standing up. Summer is coming up and that might mean that you're going to have a little more time on your hands. Why not use it to learn a new language? Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program that truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, is here to help you. Some of you may be traveling abroad this summer and you might want to experience that country beyond just the touristy type spots. Your experience could be upgraded just by learning the native language. Now you can download the Rosetta Stone app to your phone or tablet and learn on the go while driving, riding on the subway, running on a treadmill, or even laying poolside with just a 10-minute lesson per day. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer for language learning. Rosetta Stone has been used by millions of people for over three decades. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off. Unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on 
with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Who is the greatest boxer of all time? Now, I'm going to pause and lay out just for a moment and let you answer that. But I would actually like you to answer. It's not a rhetorical question. I really do want an answer. Who, before we go any further, in your opinion, is the greatest boxer of all time? Now, you've all come to the same conclusion, Muhammad Ali. And let's just say he's not the one you put forward. Let's say you thought, well, it was Muhammad Ali, but I actually think it's Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's answer, okay, great. But Muhammad Ali was part of your equation, wasn't he? 
Or let's uh, let's say you were like a little bit smaller guy. You came to the conclusion of Floyd Mayweather or maybe Sugar Ray Leonard, my favorite fighter of all time, but that's not what I asked. It was the best. Somewhere in that equation, you even if you put Mayweather, even if you put Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, Tyson Fury himself, you would have thought, I believe he has surpassed Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was part of your deduction in the little exercise we just did, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Okay, great. Tell me what it is that Muhammad Ali did that made him the greatest ever. No, no, no. I want, I want you to tell me specifically, what championship did he win? Was it the WBA? Was it the IBF? Was it the WBO? What championship did he win? You just said he was the best ever. What was his record? How many Olympic trials did he go through? How did he do at the Olympic trial? Right? If I ask you anything and start to pin you down, you don't know a damn thing. Now, I'm not mad at you for it. I just want you to understand Muhammad Ali is the greatest fighter ever because he said so first. That's the key. That right there is the entire key. We did not come out as a community and declare him the greatest fighter of all time. We did not declare him the GOAT. We didn't even declare him the, the GOAT of the heavyweight division. We didn't have time. He'd already done it. He came out before anyone else, before Liston, before Foreman, before Tyson was even competing, just for example, and he said it about himself. Now, if somebody else came out and said it, let's say Liston was to come out and say it, or Frazier, rest his soul, was to come out and say it before he passed, or Foreman was to come out and say it now. It's not the same thing. You didn't say it first. It's a massive key. So I was asked a question. My producer, Ryan, said to me a moment ago, does the winner of Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker fight for the title? No. Why not, Chael? Because they haven't said it. You won't find a title fight out there. You will not find a contender out there for a title who is given it after the fact by surprise. They all call for it. They must start a dialogue. They must start a narrative. You have not seen, I'm challenging you right now. I'm making a very big statement. This sport goes back to 1993. That's a long time. That's a massive data pool. You will not be able to provide a number one contender for me. Went on to win a championship, went on to lose for the championship. Got himself into that fight based on a performance or something else that he had done. Something he did yesterday, something he did earlier today that came as a surprise that wasn't a narrative that was spoken of ahead of time. And maybe it's even laughed at. Maybe it's even dismissed, but it existed and it was said. And I don't think Paulo Costa would be out of bounds in the least to call for a title fight. I mean, getting over on Robert Whitaker, do you know how hard that is to do? There's a few guys in this sport that really don't quite get understood for for how good they are. Leon Edwards is a fine example. Leon Edwards has been world champion for a minute here, but we found out on the, the 16th of December how good he was. We didn't know he was that good. We knew he could win five rounds against Chaos. We didn't know he could take Chaos down. I mean, I'm just offering you for an example. Whitaker is that good. He's one of the guys, for sure, locked going into the Hall of Fame. But no one else has ever whipped him and not gotten a title shot. No one else has ever whipped Robert Whitaker and not gotten the damn title, for that matter. So... Why wouldn't it go to Paulo Costa? And there's something about Paulo and his schedule. There's something about him missing. Darren Till named him something. It was the the king of the pullout. 
And Darren admitted, he goes, I was the king of the pull-up, but, but he's now beating me. And I, I only say, like, there's something about that that has made Paulo kind of humble. That's made him not call for it. Or possibly he recognizes that Chemayev already fought for a number one contender's match and until he gets the opportunity, right? I mean, it's one of those situations where Paulo Costa, in a normal circumstance, would have spoken up and would have declared this, but he hasn't. And Whitaker hasn't. And therefore, Dana White hasn't. Declare this a number one contenders match. And it's it's an interesting concept. It's nothing more than that. It's just an interesting concept in understanding how you get something or how you get somewhere. There's an order of events. I don't make the rules. Like if, if you don't like what I just said, I, I don't make the rules. I'm just identifying it for you. I stand back, I look at the board, I look for the commonalities. And it's a very important detail to understand in the world of marketing. Marketing 101, right? If you, if, you, if you go to marketing class for one day, you will at some point here, if you pick up a marketing book, any one of them at random off the shelf, at some point within that book, you will be told as a brand to come out and identify yourself before your opponents, your enemies, your competitors do it for you. And so many times, People will be in the right match, but they won't get credit for it. They won't get it recognized. Or they'll just assume this match is so hard, this is the one everybody's going to look at. This is the hardest and most competitive middleweight match currently signed. And therefore, it's the number one contenders match. That makes sense. I don't disagree with that. That generally is how it works. But when that happens and you see it, you came out and you say it. I'm going to beat him and then I'm going to fight for the belt. But there's something about it where neither guy has done that. And perhaps it's just a missed opportunity. Perhaps. But perhaps they know something we don't. Like the word does get around very fast within divisions. Perhaps that division and those middleweights already know who's next. Perhaps Shemayev is getting that opportunity that he earned back in October by beating... Kamar Usman. Perhaps Adesanya is coming back and going to be a number one contender for the very belt that he dropped. Perhaps Sean Strickland is going to get returned the same opportunity that he extended to Duplessis. There, there appears to be a reason why a feature match and the hardest and toughest and most competitive in every metric you could think of, including the rankings, right? I don't, I don't love the rankings, but you guys do, and we can include them. Everything says, keep your eye on Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker, except for Costa and Whitaker. Missed opportunity, got busy, overlooked it, possibly. Or do they know something? Do they know it's a waste of time? Because one thing you don't ever want to do, right? I love the idea and the concept of calling your shots, calling for matches. One thing you got to be real careful. Don't call for something you can't get. And that's where it gets tough. That's where the juxtaposition comes. You don't want to miss that moment on the mic. At the same time, you don't want to look weak within the industry. So do they know something? Has something already been definitively planned for middleweight? Eric Albarison back in the corner of Henry Cejudo. Now, let's break down this timeline. 
48 hours ago, UFC puts out a countdown show and it shows Henry dismissing, firing, breaking up with Captain E. I don't quite know what to call it. it frankly, it was very uncomfortable for me. So let me get a little bit of a timeline down because the, the, the story has been going, it's been bouncing back and forth. Bad Guy Inc. went to the hotel yesterday. It exists right now on my YouTube page if you would like to go and see it. But my partner, Ryan Parsons, shows up. He sees these guys. He's with them for hours and he asks, what really happened here? Because there was a number of stories coming out saying it was an angle, that what you saw on the UFC countdown show was a spoof for attention. So, and I'd hoped it was, I, but I didn't think it was. And the only reason I didn't think it was is there was no ask, right? I, I mean, spoofs and viral and these moments have some kind of an ask. They have some kind of a plug. You watch it, you watch it, you're distracted, watch it, you can't look away, and then something comes on the lower third, and it tries to get to you subliminally, something along these lines. There, there was nothing like that in this program. This moment, as awkward as it was, wasn't even used as a way of branding the countdown piece. So I thought, hey, what we're looking at here is really happening, and as awkward as it might be, it's still very authentic. These were my thoughts. But it's hard to always know. Even if you're on the inside, it's hard to always know. So when Ryan was filming this, Captain Eric said no. As a matter of fact, it did happen. And he said, but for time frame, it was two months ago. The very first week of Henry's camp, and I, and I got to do quotation. Henry's always working out. He's always in the gym. But where he really uh, buckled in is when the UFC came out with the cameras. And he said it also happened to be the day that I arrived. So the day that I arrived, I was actually dis... I don't know what word to use. I don't like the word fire, but I think it's appropriate. I'm just going to choose to use the word dismiss. This is actually on the... It was my very first day the cameras are... I actually got dismissed. That was real. He said, now, it was okay because I have Pitbull, who's training in Brazil, and I have Paulo Costa, who, by the way, is on the same card. He says, I'm cornering Paulo. I'm training Paulo. It's hard to be in two places at once. So I just flew out, put all my time... In Apollo, but he said that did in fact happen. Now, when you guys saw this, which is roughly 48 hours ago, see, that's where the timeline is so relevant that you understand this happened eight, nine weeks ago. When you guys saw it, the backlash was so strong, and it was even from peers. I mean, Volkanovsky weighed in on it, just for example. Darren Till weighed in on it, just for example, right? These are just things that I saw that got to me on social media. And it bothered people, it made people so uncomfortable that they put out another piece, they being Henry and Captain E. Another piece came out onto social media saying, hey, we're back together, Captain E's back in the corner. But to, to fully appreciate the story is where you have to understand the gap. That's where you have to understand there was eight weeks before it was filmed, right? By example, if you thought that had come out on Sunday, that he, he was rele uh, released of duties on Sunday from the camp, but he was back on Monday, because that's the way it got presented to you, the audience. You saw this moment, the firing. One day later, after a backlash, you see a reconciliation. And that's where, if you go over to my YouTube page and you watch this clip, that's where it starts to become so interesting. Hey, wait a minute, camp's already done. Captain E, who's been with Henry from Jump Street, and guys, this goes back to Henry's Olympic days. And I'm not even talking about the Olympic Games. I'm talking about the trials and preparation to get to the Olympics back when Henry was a teenager. 
He had this very guy, Captain Eric Albarison, with him. So you've got a real relationship. Nobody would know Henry quite as well as Captain E. And if you take it for the way it was presented to you, you're fired, you're hired. It's very different that you do understand it accurately, which is the entire camp happened without Captain E. They flew to location, which happens to be Anaheim. The reason Captain E is there is because he's cornering his athlete, Paulo Costa. It's a whole reason that he's even there. Flew in from Brazil with team Paulo Costa. Henry sees him at the hotel and re-invites him into the corner, hands him a team uniform. Eric accepts. I'll be there. I'll be in your corner. Okay. Does it seem like the story is done to you guys? Because for me, this is where it's starting. They did an entire camp without Captain Eric. That would mean that Captain Eric got replaced. Somebody else got brought in. Never in the history of these camps does somebody go, but that spot doesn't go, hey, there's four of us now. There's four coaches. We're going to cut one. We're going to do three. We're going to run the camp with three coaches. Not only have I never seen that, I've never even heard of that. Whatever role it is that Captain E had, they would bring somebody else in for that role. So if you show up to the hotel, you present a uniform, and you ask a person to be in your corner, who'd you kick out? Do you see the incredible irony? The incredible irony is from a PR perspective to fix what the community didn't feel right about. But in order to fix it, you have to do the very thing. The punishment and the crime go hand in hand. So who was the corner that came to camp? Who was the corner that believed he was going to be cage side this weekend? Who was the corner that had flown to Anaheim thinking they're going to do that? Because when Henry walks up to Captain E, who he had fired, he doesn't know that Captain E is going to say yes. By the way, it puts him in a hard position. Right? Think about Eric. He's in the back. He's in a locker room with Paul Acosta. He has to leave. He has to then return with a whole different injury. I'm just suggesting for you, Henry didn't know for sure the answer was going to be yes. So who was the person that was scheduled to be there? And that's where it starts to get highly uncomfortable. I mean, I got to tell you, like when I'm asking you who is the person, I'm not asking you to investigate that and then come and post their name in the section. I don't want to know. I'm not going to make another piece. I don't want to embarrass that person at all. I'm just sharing for you that it looks like that's where the story begins. And what was worked on in camp? What was the specific game plan? When we got the team to speak about this, which again, you can go to my YouTube page if you, if you want to see the entire thing. But when we got them to speak about it, we didn't ask specifically what was the problem. And when they talked about it, they said, hey, look, we're like brothers. We butt heads, there's fights, but we always can come back together. I, I understand that analogy, and I think that that's true, and those two are very close. I don't dismiss any of that. I think that that's very real. I'm just wondering, when they butt heads, when they were brothers and they're so close and they're working on something together, and there was some disagreement, what was the disagreement? Was it a material fact within the strategy? Was it within the game plan? Is there something that Henry believes he needs to do to defeat Marab, and Eric believes you need to do something else to defeat Marab. And those are the answers that we don't have. Those are the answers we just won't know. What was worked on at camp? What did that camp look like? What's different, right? You bring in somebody else, and don't forget, Captain E isn't just one of the team. He's the guy. 
He's the guy that oversees everything. He's the one that will bring in the kickboxing coach, the jujitsu instructor, the strength and condition, however it is that you do your camp. Tell you who gets what days and how long you get. You got 30 minutes with him on Wednesday. You got him for two hours on Monday. So if somebody else did that, who is that person? What was it that they suggested? When did they find out they weren't going to be in the corner? And there's a lot on it. And I would never blame Henry for doing the best he can to create an environment where he can find success. This isn't a blame game at all by me. It's just a very interesting conversation of what strategy and style, because Henry and Marab is terribly fascinating in one regard. Henry on paper is easily the best wrestler in that division. Marab, by the numbers, is easily the most effective MMA wrestler in that division. So where was the push and pull? And what is the strategy to win this match? Cejudo has said, if I don't win, I will retire. This is all or nothing. It's very fascinating to me. The greats. Henry Cejudo is one of the greats. As a little boy, this guy was a champion. As a young man, before he could even go into a bar legally, he had an Olympic gold medal. Retired from competition before he even threw a punch inside of a cage. Came back and won the whole thing again and did it again after that. It is on a pursuit to attempt to do it another time. I mean, right? Like, this is a different level of success. And to stand back and watch what makes him tick and how he operates is fascinating. It's very difficult to get involved and judge it or to critique it and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. It's hard when you have somebody that's so proven with success. So what does happen, right? Like Henry didn't do this for marketing. He didn't come out and just make this statement. This is very well thought out and very well calculated. The greats will always do a number of things, but one of them is to put themselves, even if they have to fictionally create it, in a position that they themselves believe is best for success. So nobody said, Henry, you have to win. Nobody said, Henry, you don't have a job after this. Nobody said, Henry, you can never fight again. Right? That's how most guys leave the sport. It's not their choice. Very few guys in any sport are done with the sport. They wake up one day and find out the sport's done with them. That is far more common than not the norm. But Henry has gone a different route, which is... I'm going to win. I'm going to be on a pursuit. I'm going to be on a very clear path and trajectory to become world champion. And if that stumbles, I'm out. Which is him just being aware, by the way. Like, like if, if all the wonderful things I said about Henry are true and he can't get a world title fight today, he's definitely not going to get one tomorrow with an extra loss, right? So good for him for seeing that and understanding. But... I do have to wonder, what does he gain by this? Like, uh, burning your, your ships has proven to be very effective, but what is it that you gain? I quit this sport. I quit this sport. See, I don't, I don't believe that you can retire. I know guys love to use that word. 
I don't believe you can retire unless you won a world championship. If you never achieved your goal, if you never won a world championship and you stopped, then you quit. I quit this sport in 2004 in a hallway in Japan after a bout in pancreation. And it brought me peace. I will tell you, it hurt to lose so bad. I hated it so much. In this fight, I, I, I got beaten. I went into the hallway. And right as I began having to deal with that pain and understanding what just happened and all the camp and all the travel and everything goes into it, I quit. I quit the sport. And I really meant it. And I remember having to call home. I had to call home, let my mom know. Coach Robert Follows had to let him know. But I was at complete ease because I shared with them, I am done. And it took that pain away. It didn't sting anymore. And of course, I, I did not end up quitting the sport in 2004, but I thought I had. And as I look back on it, I realize I only said that I had to ease the pain in that moment. And I do wonder, from Henry's perspective, does it add pressure, force and urgency, force you to go out there, do your absolute best and win for survival purposes? Not just for victory, it will be the death of a career, survival purposes. Does it add that motivation or does it take it away and does it make for a soft landing? Does it, does it allow an acceptance of the other side of the coin? And it's a, it's a very hard one to know. It's a very hard one to know why a person would put themselves in that position. He did not have to do it. He elected to do it. He doesn't have to hold on to it and maintain it when he's done. He will hold on to it. He will maintain it. If Henry gets beaten, he says, I'll, I'll stop if I, if I do. He will stop. But what is the juxtaposition? Like when I very first saw it, I didn't love it. I, well, this isn't good news. But, but if, if I don't like what Henry's saying, then I must love the opposite, right? I mean, that would just be basic laws of logic. So the opposite would be Tony Ferguson's approach. Before Tony's very last fight, he said, no, this outcome does not matter. I'm just getting started. I'm a young guy in the sport. I'm going to go do 20 more of these things, right? It was very different, and we didn't like that either. So I'm just reminding you, like, like us as the viewer, us as the community, it, it seems as though we can't be happy, right? I mean, like, Henry wasn't met with this great praise. Like, people weren't coming in going, oh, my gosh, how commendable. Yes, put, put all your eggs in one basket. This is great. They weren't doing that. But when the opposite was done just three weeks ago by Tony Ferg, that was also resisted and rejected. So the question does become, what is the best frame of mind. Like if you're a young athlete and you're standing back and you're looking at the stars, guys that you want to be like, and you're going to copy them, you're going to emulate them. Well, you have now have two options. You have two polar opposites. You have Tony Ferg that said, no, I don't have all my pressure. I don't have everything on tomorrow's fight. My entire life and my entire career is not based on that. Which again, Tony would have said to alleviate or to create some kind of environment that he felt was most conducive for his skill set. And Henry has done the exact same thing, except he did the exact opposite of what Ferg did, which is just a fascinating study to stand back and to look at that. Henry is in a very peculiar position, only in that if he wins, I cannot tell you with good faith as a member of this community that he gets a title shot. I couldn't even tell you in good faith that I would be advocating for him to have a title shot. Like, it sounds right, 
Henry fighting for a belt at any time sounds right. I didn't mind the idea of, of Henry coming back from his hiatus going up to 145 and getting an instant title shot up there. Like, Henry for a belt does sound right, but in fairness, I haven't studied that division. I haven't studied who's where and what pieces and, and, and look at the guy's ages and, you know, what have you done for me lately type thing. Like, I haven't done that. And I can't assure you that even in victory that I would come out and say Henry should be the one. Now, he might very well be the one. I'm just saying, I'm not, I don't feel as strong in telling you that. I do feel very confident to tell you if Marab wins, Marab fights for title. Well, how do you do that, right? How is one guy in the semifinals and the other guy is not? But it does feel that way. I know Marab has not had that opportunity. I know, I know that parity does matter. I know that youth does matter. I know that win streaks and runs and risks that you're taking do matter. Marab is putting it all on the line. I don't know that I can say that for Henry, which isn't his fault. I just, I don't know if I can say that for Henry. I mean, just by example, Henry is, is 0-1 of recent memory, and Marab is 9-0 of recent memory. So it, it's not quite apples to apples. It just feels a little bit different. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sharing for you, Henry Cejudo has created a world. He has created a bubble of which he is living in. And it's not necessarily a bubble of reality. If he loses, he does not have to retire. He says that he does, but he does not have to retire. He's not have to be done with the sport. His career does not have to be over, but he says it does and believes it. The other side is if he wins, he's not guaranteed to be next for Sugar Sean versus Cheeto, but he believes he is. And the, the great athletes will often do this. There will often be a delusion around the great athletes. You have to control the bubble that you live in. And you got to tailor it and cater it to operate within your own psychosis. It's a very fascinating thing. Henry says he'll be done with the loss. Henry says that he'll fight for a title with a victory. I don't know that either is wrong. I do know neither is guaranteed. My official prediction for Volkanovski versus Ilya Teporia, Volkanovski, and still. I will share with you, I very much expect a different performance from Volkanovski. What does that mean? Is it better or worse, right? I, I, I lean in the direction that he's going to underperform. The greats that separate themselves from the pack never stop getting better. They are never satisfied. They are never full. They remain hungry. How do you do that? How do you stay motivated? It's, it's, it's one of these very difficult things where if you understand that you're competing against yourself, all you're looking for is PRs. They talk about that in track and field all the time. But nobody really knows why that's important. Like, I, I can remember growing up, I didn't do track and field, but when I had friends or I had acquaintances that would talk about track and field and they'd be proud of themselves talking about a PR, even though they didn't medal, I didn't get it. And I must tell you, I thought that was a very bizarre concept. You either beat the people that were standing next to you or you didn't. I don't actually care how fast you went. Did, were you faster than them? That was from my perspective. But they were not that way. It did matter how fast that they did it. 
it didn't matter. Somebody did it faster. Am I saying this clearly? Because the first time I ever got a taste of this was in high school in weightlifting. Coach Tom Ogan, he explained this to us on day one. The way I'm going to grade you, we went around and got all of our, our one rep maxes. He said, the way I'm going to grade you is at the end of this process, end of this class, I'm going to do one rep maxes again. And it's going to be about your gain. So if you're the strongest kid in class, it doesn't mean that you're the one that's going to get an A. You've got to be stronger than you are right now when this journey is done. Wow, okay, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I like that concept. And when you have the true greats that can whip everybody, they're then confronted with a question of, are they going to continue to stay disciplined? Are they going to continue to do the things that you don't want to do? The things that it takes to be a great athlete, particularly in this space, are not fun. There's no way around it. It is not fun to get up at 5 a.m. and go run five miles. There's not a trick or, well, for some, some people, they really enjoy it. It's not fun to eat less calorie-wise than you burn in a day. It's not fun to tell people no. Do you guys want to know what focused means? Do you ever hear that somebody's focused? Well, what does that mean? Focus means that you say no more often than not. That's what focus means. If you're focused on something, then when all these other ideas are coming in, distractions, you got other opportunities, you're saying no. There's a party, there's a date, there's a social event, there's something to do. No, no, no. Why? Because I'm focused. And I just share for you, when your goal is to be the best in the world, once you're there, there's a very rare few people that will continue to try to get better. I mean, think about the concept of it. Think about what you're going to have to do to get better, but I'm already the best. I can't get any higher than number one. And there's a reason, though, that it's important that you continue to separate yourself. Do you want to know what that reason is? Real simple. What if the competition comes on a day that you're not feeling well? The entire genesis of continuing to grow as an athlete and separate yourself from the pack is so that if a competition falls on a day that you're not feeling well, you can still win. Or maybe it's on a day that you're feeling really bad. You can still win. You're still better than the rest. And I bring that to you because Volkanovski appears to have some room. He has not had a close match at 145 pounds. And I do think he's going to be different. Look, history says... When you get knocked out, you're not the same. Now, that's more true in boxing than it is in MMA. But I'm going to couple combat together just to let you know that I do expect a guy to be different the first time he realizes he's got a switch and it can be shut off. The first time he realizes I can't go full board with my offense if it sacrifices my defense, meaning it leaves myself exposed. Now, there's more options in MMA. If you do have those same trepidations that we see so often in boxing, you can turn to more of a grappling-heavy mindset. There's different things that you can do. You can kick more. You can stay on the outside. Just for example, you can stay on your feet, but you can clench so the power's not there. Just by example. So I do expect that we see a different Volkanovski. There has just been such a meaningful gap between, Gol uh, between Volk and the field. Listen... People will tell you MMA math doesn't work. They will tell you it's styles that make matchups. Those people are idiots. MMA math is the greatest science that we have. I realize it's not perfect and it's not scientific, but it's the closest thing that we have. MMA math works all the time. 
matchups work all the time. Not styles. Don't act like you're smarter than somebody. You got you can see this through a different pair of eyes. You can look more in depth than most people. No, you can't. And there's not a whole lot of guys. And Tapuria is great, by the way. But I haven't seen a whole lot of guys that Volk has defeated that I believe Tapuria could also defeat. I'm not sold on the idea that Tapuria could beat Brian Ortega. For example, I'm not sold on that. I would need to see that match. I am not convinced that Ilya Tapuria can beat Max Holloway. I'm certainly not convinced that Ilya could beat Max Holloway three times. I'm not convinced of that. So when you look at the schedule and you look at the resume of Volk, I do admit there's something to see here. I, I do admit the fact that October wasn't that long ago and they had to wake Volk up. They had to tell him and Volk shared some things with us. He shared with us that he is not perfectly disciplined at all times, that he goes through highs and lows himself based on the finish line, what the date is of that contract, where the next opponent is. I'm not dismissing and discounting that. But how are you going to beat him? If Tapori is going to beat him, how is he going to beat him? Are they going to go to a decision? If you win a decision against an opponent, it means you're in better shape than the opponent. Just so you understand. Nobody's ever won a decision in the history of ever where conditioning wasn't a factor. So if you believe it's a decision, then you believe that Taporia has better conditioning than Volk, of which he might have. I'm just asking you how you came to that conclusion. With what evidence? What did you see that I missed? Do you believe Taporia can knock him out? You might believe that. And you'd only have to go back to October to show me that that could be done. But is that your bet? Is that what you think? Because if you're picking Taporia and you're, and, and you're a handicapper, then you might as well pick him by knockout. That'll get yourself some really good odds. Do you think Taporia can submit him? Something Brian Ortega couldn't do? I mean, that'll get you some really good odds over DraftKings. So I'm just asking you, go a little bit further with it. Don't just tell me who you think is going to win. If he's going to win, how's he going to do it? Meanwhile, the other side of the coin to being knocked out, the other side of the coin where you become apprehensive is you also become very hungry. You want something back. It's one thing to defend championships. It's another thing to go out there and win championships. I think from a mindset standpoint, Volk is going to be very close to contender. From a mindset standpoint, coming off of a loss, it's very rare, guys, right? I mean, this is almost a riddle. I lost, I was knocked out in my previous fight. My current fight is for a world title and I'm the one bringing the belt. It, what? That doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, in this case it does, right? I mean, it's a very unique situation. There is something to be said for momentum. I believe in Taporia. By the way, I think he's awesome. I think he's great, but he also got here the one way by design that the matchmakers thought he could get here, which is to stay away from Max Holloway. That's just the truth and that's not Taporia's fault, but that is the truth. They started to realize we have a guy in the number two position in Max who can destroy the field. So we need to start bringing up contenders and avoiding that guy. It's relevant. I don't think that Volk is going to fight his absolute best. That's true. But there is such a gap between Volk and the field that I'll put my money on him anyway. All right, guys.
guys, that's it for today's episode. You know, I asked you all on Spotify who you think is going to headline UFC 300. And I love this response from Gary who said, the fight we have all dreamt of since we learned of the controversial honking incident Chael versus the neighbor for the BMF belt of West Lynn. You know, that is a great idea, Gary. I'm going to submit that to the local mayor's office. I hope that you all enjoy UFC 298 this weekend, and I hope you know to be back here on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.